to have you here today. Now today we are going to be talking all about identity and we all know from the hundreds of superhero films that come out every year that it's all about hiding your identity if you are a superhero. So just for the next few moments I want you to turn to the people around you and say if you could be any superhero who would it be? It can be a famous one, it can be one you've invented but if you could be any superhero who would you be and why? So turn to some people around you and share your answer. Okay. Well, today we are talking all about identity. Identity. And I want to begin with a bit of a confession time. Confession is good for the the soul. So let's start with a bit of confession. Who here has ever used a fake ID? Who has used a fake ID? Anyone brave enough to admit it? Maybe it's when you borrowed from a sibling. Uh, yeah, a few hands going up. My wife's hand's gone up, yeah. Uh, maybe you got it from a mate at school or something like that. Or Anyone ever try and make one themselves? Anyone ever try that? A few nods going up. Nice, nice, nice. I'm impressed. Well, whether or not you have ever used a fake ID, all of us have tried to change or create our identity in some way, some shape or form. Uh, There's certain things we do with our fashion, with our uh, kind of clothing that tries to shape a particular identity. Perhaps it's the brands you wear. Perhaps it's the words you say. Maybe it's the the names that you uh, have adopted throughout your life, the nicknames. Are you a a James or a Jamie or a Jimmy? What is your kind of identity with your name? For some, it's the role we play in a social setting. We've adopted an identity of being the the sort of kind of shy or deep one or the, the party animal, the one that fills the room. We all have these different identities. And perhaps there's never been a time in human history more than now where we love talking about identity. We love speaking about and discussing identity. And so much so that there's even a question now that's come up in our society that's been for the first time, maybe in in human history, I don't know, which is how do you identify? How do you identify is now a question that people are asked, perhaps in the workplace or in social settings. And we're constantly discussing and debating this whole theme of identity as a society, from the latest movies to conversations about gender or face-altering apps or face-altering cosmetic procedures. We're all pushing back at the identities that we have, that the identities our birth and our bodies have given to us. 
And we're exploring this idea of what can we change and what can we not? What is kind of fixed and what is movable? Now, why is it? Why is it we've been talking so much about identity as a society? Well, I think we've discovered just how powerful this whole thing of identity is, that how you view yourself and how other people view you has a massive impact on your life. And as such, this has perhaps become the big question of our day. Now, I could give countless examples from, uh, from culture, from media, that proves this point that identity is that, the topic that we're all discussing. So I'll just give you two from the last month, because there's so many that could be picked from. First of all, the trending Netflix show, Inventing Anna. Inventing Anna. Now, this is the true story of a girl, an immigrant girl, who grew up in a poor setting, but decided as a young girl that she was going to change her identity. So she starts dressing differently, starts speaking differently. And then eventually, when she grows up to, in her 20s, she moves to New York and manages to convince people that she is a German heiress worth millions. And she manages to pull it off, and people are willing to loan her huge sums of money, believing that she is who she claims to be. And just as she's about to fully pull it off, she gets caught in the act and then she is, well, I won't give away too many spoilers, but it's all out in the news. She gets caught in the act and it's revealed that her identity isn't what she claimed it to be. Now, what's really interesting about Anna Delvey is that she shows a little remorse for what she did. She says, well, why is it that just because of my birth that I have to identify with a life of poverty? Why is it that people who are born into a wealthy family get to enjoy all of these things and I can't? Can't I identify as a wealthy German heiress? Is that not acceptable? Or what about another example? Just a couple of weeks ago, American Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is at her uh, confirmation hearing and the eyes of the world are watching, the cameras are rolling and live on television, she is asked the question, what defines a woman? What defines a woman? And Jackson's reply to that question is, I am not qualified to answer that because I'm not a biologist. Now, of course, this is a bit of a nightmare question in our current context for someone on live TV to be answering. And in trying to offend anyone, which is her goal, trying not to offend anyone, in the end, she actually, with her answer, offends everyone. Because the reality is those who say that gender is linked to biology respond by saying, well, you don't need to be a biologist or a PhD expert in biology to know the difference between a male body and a female body. A six-year-old child could do that. But then those who say that gender has nothing to do with biology, but instead with how you feel and present and identify in the world, would say, well, this isn't anything to do with science or biology. In fact, it's more to do with your area of expertise, Judge Jackson, because this is to do with law. This is about society and the legal system recognizing my identity, how I present in the world. And so I want to legally be able to change the sex and gender on my passport, on my driving license, on my hospital records. It's all about identity. 
questions of identity. And even as we discuss some of them, it can feel slightly uncomfortable and sensitive because these issues touch us at our very deepest. They go to the core of who we are. Who am I? And the key question is this. Who or what gets to define you? Who or what gets to define your identity? Is it you? Is it others? Is it your body? Is it your emotions? Is it your place of birth or your culture? Is it the legal system or the political system? Who gets to define you and your identity? Well, historically, our identities were, and this is still the case in some cultures today, identities were determined by external forces, by things outside of ourselves. Your village, your tribe, your culture, your family would say, this is where you fit, this is who you are, and this is how you should live. So there would be a set thing based on your gender or your class or your family that would say, this is who you are and this is what you will do as an adult. This is who you will marry. This is how you will be. And in many ways, there are a lot of good things about that kind of understanding of identity. Because rather than it being just all about me as an individual, there's an understanding that we exist in a wider corporate communal environment. It's not just about what's good for me, it's about what's good for the community. So there was an outward focus. But what are some of the problems with defining our identity in that way? Well, what happens when you don't fit into the norms? What happens if, uh, based on your uh, gender and your birth, you're thinking, well, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I, I would like to do this. What if you don't fit into those things and you're told that, well, if you don't fit in line with what we say, then you'll bring shame on our family. You'll bring shame on our community. And then you have a a decision to make, do I follow my desires or do I follow my family? So that was historically and in many cultures today still how our identity was defined. But what about in our day right here, right now? Well, our identities are defined not externally, but internally. We get to decide who we are. I get to say who I am. That is how we define ourselves today. You can watch any film from Pixar to the kind of latest adult films. It's all about who you are. You get to define you. This is the mantra of our day. Now, again, there's a lot of good things with this too. We get the opportunity, the freedom to explore different avenues and opportunities that previously weren't available. We get to discover and try and find out more about how we tick, about our personalities. We have freedoms that were previously unavailable. But what are some of the downsides of defining our identities in this way, in our modern culture and context? Well, the, problems is, the problem with defining your identity and how you feel or think about yourself is that our feelings and our emotions are unstable foundations. Rather than being this objective thing that we can certainly build our lives on, the reality is that our emotions and our thoughts change from day to day and week to week. 
Rather than being this objective source, often we view ourselves through a muddy lens, a murky lens, one that isn't particularly unbiased, but often shaped by things like our past hurts or our cultural beliefs or our hormones or our uh, family expectations, rather than it just being, I'm free to choose objectively for myself. So if we don't find our true identity from external sources, and if trying to build our identity on our internal thoughts and feeling is a shaky ground, then how do we find out who we truly are? How do we discover our true identity? The answer to who am I? Well, it's not looking outwards. It's not looking inwards. It's from looking upwards. See, we find who we truly are by looking upwards to God, to the one who made you, to the one who shaped you, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows even the very number of hairs on your head, who understands you more than you understand yourself, who knows that the things are best for you, the things that are not good for you, the one who has a plan for your life, a plan for your prosperity and for your hope and for your true freedom. That is how we find our true identity, not one built on shaky foundations that might change based on how we feel from week to week, month to month, or year to year, but the faithful one, the consistent one, the one who never changes, who always wants our good. And the one who is always welcoming us, not saying you can come to me when you've sorted out who you are and fixed your identity, but says come to me in your brokenness, in your complexity and confusion, and I will give you unconditional love. And at the same time, I will give you a commitment to shape you and mold you into the true person you were made to be, to discover the identity that you were born to have. So how do we receive this new identity? If our identity is found not from external forces or from our internal feelings, how do we truly receive this identity from God? Well, the Bible says there are two steps, two Bs. Believe and be baptised. Technically three Bs, I guess you could say, but you know, you get the point. Two Bs, believe and be baptised. First of all, believe The first step to accepting your true identity is to believe in the one who made you and called you to be his own. To say, God, I believe in you and I want your identity for my life. I want to live for you and I want to discover who you've made me to be. I don't want to be defined by the world. I don't want to be defined by my feelings. I want to be defined by you. God, I believe in you. Secondly, after we believe, the next step the Bible repeatedly talks about throughout the New Testament, all believers are then to be baptised. This is the norm. This is what always happens. When someone believes in Jesus, they are then baptised. Now, maybe you're new to church, you're kind of exploring faith, and you might ask the question of, what is baptism? What is baptism? Well, the Greek word baptizo means to plunge or to dip or to immerse. It's why when we uh, read the New Testament, when it talks about baptism, baptism will often happen in a place or always happen in a place where there is a large body of water, like a river, somewhere where you can dunk that person fully under. 
Because to baptize means to plunge, to immerse someone under water. It's why when we do baptisms here at the church, we have this, if you haven't seen it before, these covers in front of me, they're lifted up and there is a pool, a relatively deep pool, uh, that we dunk people under. If they're too tall, they go down on their knees and we make sure they're going under one way or another. Now you might say, if you're, if, if you're completely new to Christianity, to the, the ways of Jesus, you might say, that is one of the weirdest practices I've ever heard of. See, as Christians, we've got very used to this. We saw that video of people like Elliot being plunged under the water and like, yay. But we've got kind of used to it. If you're new to the Christian faith, like, that is the weirdest thing. Why did Elliot in front of everyone get dunked in the water? Like, you know, he's, he's kind of a, ch- a child in a pool and they're like, have, you know, when you, as a kid, you get dunked under the water and it's not a particularly pleasant thing. Like, why is that happening in a church? It's all a bit weird. Well, the reason why people are baptised is that it is a symbol, a symbolic act, an expression of something inwardly that we express outwardly. In Romans 6, it describes what baptism is. It says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's saying that when someone is lowered down into the water, it's a picture of being lowered into the grave. Just as Jesus was crucified and died and was buried and lowered into the grave, so too when someone is, ba- uh, is buried as they are baptised into the waters, they're saying, I am dying to my old life. I am dying to the ways that I used to live by. I'm dying to defining myself and being my own king. And it's saying, that is my old life. I give up everything, every part of my identity, my desires, my goals, my dreams. It is all now dead and I bury it in baptism. And it's why we do full immersion. You might say, wouldn't it be a bit easier if you just sprinkled a bit of water on someone's head? Like that would be, you know, a bit easier. You wouldn't have to fill up the pool or, you know, just be a bit more straightforward. No, we do full immersion, not just because it's the biblical way and the biblical command, but because of the symbolism of what it represents. See, someone goes fully under rather than just dipping their toe in. They go fully under because it is an all-in thing. It's saying, everything I have is now with you, Jesus. It's why we make sure that someone goes fully under. On the odd occasion, you might see it where someone kind of goes under. It's like, oh, we, we missed their head. Come on, let's just dunk them one more time. And you might say, that's a bit picky, isn't it? It's a bit pedantic. And, you know, it, it's not that, you know, if they got to the pearly gates one day, there'd be kind of a, a slow-mo replay of the baptism and God would be like, oh, you know what? Like, your head, the nose didn't really go under and I'm not sure you're allowed in, mate. Sorry. Or you're allowed in, but your nose has to stay at the door. No, it's not that, but it's just this, we're so keen that someone go fully under because it represents my life is all in. See, when we get baptised, we don't say, look, I I follow you with everything, Jesus. But every time they talk about giving and money, like that's my money's mine. But Jesus, everything else is yours. And when we go, we're not saying everything is yours, Jesus, but 
ah, like, I don't really like how your views on relationships and sex and all of that doesn't really fit with me and my life and my culture, but everything else is yours, Jesus. No, we are all in. Baptism is saying, I die. Not just a bit of me, no, all of me is yours, Jesus. That is why we have a full immersion. All in. All for you, Jesus. But then the person is never left underwater. It's every uh, baptism preacher's favourite joke. Don't worry, we won't leave them under there. It's an easy gag, we always make it. But we don't leave them under the water. No, they are raised up again, raised into new life. Just as Jesus was raised into new life, so too when we come out of the baptism waters, we are raised into a new life, a new identity. We discover, we experience, we live out who we were truly meant to be. Alive in Christ. No longer dead in our sins, but alive in Christ. No longer ruled by our emotions, but ruled by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is who we are. If you are a believer and you are baptised, this is your identity. Sin no longer is your master. You are no longer your king. We are alive in Christ, ruled by the Spirit, living for him. And elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about how baptism is a moment where we are washed clean. That when we go in, it's like our sin, our filth, our unrighteousness goes into that water and we are raised again into righteousness and holiness and perfection. Not because we've become perfect people. If you know any Christian or anyone who's just been baptised, it's not like when they come out of the water, all of a sudden, all of the sin disappears. They never get angry again. They're never harsh again. No, it's still there. But our identity before God, our standing before him is now one of righteousness. And our desires are no longer defined and determined by our flesh, but by the Spirit. And this is a permanent uh, state that we're in. This is a one and done deal. This is why you don't need to get baptised many times. Praise God, otherwise every week we would all be getting in this pool. It's not like kind of, you know, you get washed clean, but then during the week you, you, you do some wrong things and it's like, oh man, like I'm going to need a double dunk today because you don't even know what this week's been like. Now when we are baptised, it is a once and for all thing. When he has washed us clean, when he has given us our new identity, that is a permanent position we have in Christ. So what is the call if you are someone who says, I believe in Jesus, but haven't been baptised yet? Well, if you're someone who believes in Jesus and your heart is in a place that says, I'm all in for him, then be baptised. It's not the added extra It's not the premium service. It's not the upgrade. It's just what believers in Jesus do. To express their heart externally for the church family and for the one we love. That is the call. Now let me just say a kind of side point that may apply to to some people here. Perhaps you were christened as a child. Perhaps your family tradition was that was something that happened as a child. Now, the Bible is very consistent that baptism is something that takes place when someone believes. It's an expression of something that has happened in your heart. 
And if you were fortunate to grow up in a Christian home, as was I, then what a blessing that was. But baptism is something that happens when someone believes for themselves. So perhaps if you are christened as a child but haven't been baptised as an adult believer, then it doesn't mean that that christening wasn't special and significant for you and your family. But may I encourage you, make the decision for yourself. As someone who says, this is my belief, this is my declaration in Jesus. Yes, thank you God for my family. But I choose personally to put my trust in you. If you believe, be baptised. Now, what about those of us in the room who are like, that's great, John. I love that you're encouraging people to be baptised, but I've been baptised, and I don't know how this is particularly relevant to me. Maybe for some in the room, you were baptised decades ago. Like, you can't even remember the decade, let alone the year. Like, this is part of, you know, ancient history in your life. You're like, that's great, John. I've seen hundreds of baptisms. You don't have to convince me. So what relevance does any of this have to you if you've been baptised? Well, let's keep reading the passage in Romans 6 to see what the baptized life looks like. Verse 8, it says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. This passage is saying, you have now seen the reality, the baptised reality of who you are. Now live as those who are baptised. Live in the light of the truth of your new identity. I had a, a mate who went... We were students together. He was one of those guys who would never want to spend money. Have you ever had any friends like that? Maybe you're, you don't have to put any hands up. Maybe that's you in the room. But it just, even at times, you're like, come on. Like, let, we'd, we'd be out on a, a night out, and it'd be like 2 a.m. We'd come out of a nightclub, and, and the walk home would be about 45, 50 minutes. And I'd be like, mate, let's just get a taxi. It's only like five quid. And he'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, let's save money. I'm like, look, it's like 253 quid each. Come on, like, let's just get a taxi. He's like, nah, let's save money, let's walk. I'm like, it's 2 a.m. And he would never want to get a taxi. And then we graduated. And then he got a pretty decent job with a pretty decent salary. And his identity changed from being a student and paying out all these fees to being someone who was employed and earning pretty good money. And yet when we would hang out, his mindset would still be the same. I'd say, hey, come on, let's just do this. He's like, nah, nah, like, let's just save money. I'm like, come on, like, it's not that much. Like, nah, 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 let's just, let's not, let's just save money. And the fascinating thing was, even though his identity, his position had changed, his thoughts and his behaviours hadn't. And the truth is, it can be the same for us as baptised believers. See, our identity, our standing, our status can have completely changed. And yet our thoughts and actions and behaviours aren't in line with it. In Galatians 5, it gives a similar imagery. It talks about how we can have attendances as those who are free to return to a yoke of slavery. I mean, what a powerful image that is. I mean, picture a slave, someone who has dreamt of freedom, in chains, in bondage, a slave has this glorious moment where they are set free. 
The chains are undone. They're given a new status as free, no longer a slave. As we sang, no longer a slave, free. And the image is this, the chains are taken off. They are declared a free person and they start to walk away. They start to walk away from the bondage, their previous identity, the chains. And they pause and they turn around and they walk back and pick up the chains and put them back on. What a depressing image. Returning to the yoke of slavery. What a horrible and depressing and sad image. Someone who is free, living as if they are not. And brothers and sisters, the truth is, that can be our reality too. Someone who is baptised. Someone who has been made free. Someone who has a new identity in Christ and yet, lives as someone who is not, as a slave, going back to our previous way. It's a sad image, and yet it's the reality that so many believers, baptised believers, can experience. So how do we stop that from happening? How do we avoid going from freedom back into slavery? Well, notice that what Paul says in the passage we just read in Romans 6. In those verses, he says, believe, he says, no, and he says, consider. These are active words. These are intentional words. These are the things that take some sort of activity, things we have to actively do to remind ourselves. Paul is saying, stand in the truth of who you are. Stand in the truth of your new identity. This isn't something we just drift into, but something we have to be intentional with. Believe, know, consider. Paul is saying you have died to sin and been made alive in Christ. Now preach that message to yourself every day. Live in that truth every day. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, he understood the need for this. He understood the power of this. And uh, he famously uh, said this quote. He said, there is no greater comfort there is, no, there is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. It's a big statement. There is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. And when we read about his life, we read that there'd be moments where he would be wrestling with lies about who he was, wrestling with temptation and sin. And what he would do when he would wrestle with these things is he would out loud audibly declare, I am baptised. I am baptised. I mean, picture it here, Martin Luther, he's, he's wrestling with these thoughts, those temptations that you and I experience. And he says out loud, I am baptised. He would declare that truth because he knew what it meant. He knew what being baptised meant for his identity and the freedom that bought. And can I encourage us to follow Luther's example? to remind ourselves that we are baptised in those moments of temptation and weakness and sin to declare over ourselves, I am baptised. In those moments when we start to feel the weight of sin and shame, moments I can relate to all too much, those moments where the devil reminds us of the things we've done, how dare you call yourself a Christian when you've done that? How dare you turn up to church this Sunday when you've done that this week? 
How dare you say God loves you and forgive you when you keep returning to that pattern of sin? How dare you? In those moments, saying, no, I am baptised. I am free. My identity is not one of a sinner, but a saint. I have been washed clean. I am no longer defined by the dirt that was washed away in my baptism. I am free and clean and righteous in Christ. In those moments when we're tempted to sin, where something seems more attractive and appealing than the goodness and the commands of Christ, in those moments of temptation saying, no, I am baptised. That is not who I am. That is not my identity. I have a new identity and it's in Christ. I'm not going to return to my chains. In those moments when we feel insecure, where we feel less about ourselves, when we look at others and say, man, I wish I had their life or their personality or whatever it is, when we're tempted to compare, to feel less about ourselves, to feel like we're not good enough, that maybe God made us slightly wrong. In those moments of insecurity, it's saying, no, I am baptised. I have been baptised into Christ. There is no greater standing, no greater identity than being in Christ. That is the highest possible identity that any human being can have. And in the moments when we can be fearful about the future or fearful about death, we've seen that a lot in the last couple of years, when we look to the end of our lives, to dying and death, when we're tempted to be fearful, we can say, no, I am baptised. I am in Christ. And what does it say in Romans 6 that we read? We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Because Christ has conquered death. When we are baptised into him, we no longer need to fear death. Death no longer gets the final say. We no longer need to fear what was once our greatest enemy. This is uh, my dad's personal tract. You might hear the phrase tract, and if you're under the age of about 60, you're like, you mean like train tracks, or like, what is that like? Anyone who's old school knows what a tract is, but any new school, you're like, I, I don't know what a tract is. Well, a tract is something, it used to be a bit more in vogue than it is these days, where people would write their testimony, their story of how God had transformed their life into a little kind of leaflet that you could hand to someone to tell them a bit more about what God had done in your life. And my dad, being an old school believer, he was, uh, he was a fan of a personal tract, and uh, he created one for himself. Now, as someone who is into graphic design, I apologize for the color scheme and the choice of Comic Sans font. I, uh, I'm ashamed that that has been chosen, but you know, it's my dad's decision. There we go. But he put together his personal tracks complete with clip art on the inside and uh, all the other powerful graphic design tools that have been available since the 90s. And uh, this was his... <laughs> His red, blue, and yellow personal track that he would hand out whenever he had the opportunity to share what Jesus had done in his life. 
And on the back of the track, the very final sentences of the track, he says this. Finally, I am glad that I don't have to fear death. Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. And all those who follow him would go to heaven to be with him when they die. What a relief to know that my eternal destination is certain. See, when my my dad wrote these words, it was the celebration of a future promise. He knew his identity in Christ. He knew that because he was dead to himself and alive in Christ and hidden in him, that he had no need to fear death. And he wrote these words as a declaration of a future moment of when he would be with Jesus face to face. As some of you all know, last week my my dad suddenly died. And the amazing truth is that that future promise has now become his present reality. See, for my dad, as he stood before the God he loved, he could stand confidently. Not because he was a perfect person, he definitely wasn't. But because he knew he was alive in Christ. As he stood before his creator, he could stand confidently. Not because he'd just about to do, done enough good deeds to outweigh his bad but because he had been washed and made clean by Christ. And as he stood before the one who knitted him together in his mother's womb, he could be at complete peace. He could be completely confident and declare the words, I am baptized. I'm yours, my God, forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, that is our hope. That is our hope. We're not playing games. This isn't some kind of Twitter debate. This isn't we're talking about identity because we've got nothing better to do. What you believe about who you are changes everything. What you believe about who has made you and who has uh, created you and what you've been called to be changes everything. What you believe about what happens when you die changes everything. Identity matters. The world's right. Identity is everything. But it's not found in you. It's not found in the world. It's found in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have bought this identity for us with the greatest price. That we can stand here forgiven and free and at peace, filled with hope. Not because we were the good ones who worked hard, but because you took our sin and our shame on your shoulder. Thank you for your precious blood that was spilled, that was spent in pursuit of giving us the freedom of identity in you. And thank you that when we believe in you, that when we are baptized, we are risen to new life. 
Thank you that we don't have to go through the exhausting journey of trying to discover who we are. We don't have to fear people's perceptions. We don't have to fear death because we are in Christ. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this hope. Thank you for this freedom. May we live like those who are baptised. When the devil comes knocking, would we be reminded, would we consider, would we know that we are baptised in you, forgiven and free, once and forevermore. Thank you for that wonderful gift, Lord. The scandal of your grace. The joy of our baptism. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So what are our next steps? Well, if you're someone who has been journeying with faith and exploring what you believe, perhaps today is the moment where you want to say, you know, today, right now, I want to declare my belief in Jesus, to receive his identity. The final words of my dad's track say, I would like to highly recommend that you get to know God personally and experience all the wonderful things that I have. And I would say the same. Knowing Jesus has been the most wonderful gift in my life. And if you don't know him, please, please, can I encourage you, get to know him. He changes everything. And if you're someone who has said, look, I put my trust in Jesus, I do believe in him, but you've maybe been kind of dilly-dallying or just a bit fearful, that's understandable. If you're kind of nervous about baptism, you know this happens. We're human, it can be a bit daunting, a bit scary. But can I encourage you to follow the instruction, follow the command of Jesus to believe and be baptised. We're having baptisms in a couple of weeks' time on Easter Sunday. And if you're in a position where you're thinking, you know, I think I'd like to go for it, to take the plunge, then you can do that. Visit newcom.church forward slash baptism. Have a chat to me or one of the leaders. We'd love to explore baptism with you. And if you are someone who's already baptised, then this week and in the weeks ahead, let's live like we're baptised. No longer in slavery, no longer in chains. Let's live like free people. Let's live like those who have been washed and made alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus.